Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 635 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, we hear about the film Flatland, a South African-based Western from his writer and director, Jenna Bass. She'll be on the line for that one. Plus, we'll be having a bit of word or two with David Emmanuel, obviously half of the team who bought Diana's wedding dress to the stage in 1981. Tells you how you can afford your wedding during 2021 as we look at ways of saving up and making sure you get some top tips for wedding couture. On top of that, we'll be having a bit of a natter with Shireen Murphy. She's, of course, from Emmerdale fame. Uh, talking about uh, the frozen food and the way that's become much more of a staple for many families over the last 18 months. Plus, on top of that, we're having a natter with Sean Hartman. He is in Blackadder 2, starring as Blackadder himself. It's on at the Crescent this week, so he'll be telling you how you can get yourself down there. Runs through into September as well. Plus, on top of that, we've got music from Harper and Hubble and mostly Autumn. That's all on the way on the show this week. From the 25th of August through to the 4th of September, Blackadder 2 is on stage at the Crescent in Brum. Blackadder himself joins me now. It is Sean Hartman. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm all right. I trust everything is going to plan in your world. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we we did the uh, tech run yesterday over at the Crescent. Uh, did it from um, start to finish, and we're all still alive. Uh, and, and you know all the words, which is helpful. Yes, yeah, that's another good uh, another good <laughs> sign. There were no scripts. There will be no scripts on the night, in the words of Sir Ian McCallum. <laughs> so, uh, Blackadder 2, uh, which means there has been a Blackadder 1, but as with all the Blackadder series, you could drop in when it was the telly stuff. Uh, this is a stage play, and uh, obviously you have the uh, titular role, uh, which means uh, you're basically uh, either emulating Rowan Atkinson or playing it in your own right. How does it work? Because you're way too good-looking to be Rowan Atkinson. Oh, well, I take that as a huge compliment. He's, he's a good-looking guy, James. He, oh, come on, he's always been a bit novelty. That's how he ended up doing this <laughs> stuff in the first place. I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't mind us saying that. Oh, I'm sure he wouldn't. I'm sure he wouldn't. He seems like a nice guy. Um, it's it's a it's a weird one in terms of uh, where you where you uh, draw the line of are you doing an impression versus are you doing your own interpretation of it? Um, because on the one hand, you don't want to do a Rowan Atkinson impression and just pale in comparison to Rowan Atkinson. And you also don't want to, you know, people who are coming to see Blackadder live on the stage, they they want to kind of hear the greatest hits, you know, they, they don't they don't want people to kind of, uh, you know, challenge the idea of what Blackadder could be, you know, people people want uh, want a classic. So it's a, it's a hard line to toe. Luckily for me, uh, my impression of, Rowan Atkinson is so bad that it sounds like uh, I'm doing my own thing with it, um, but I'm not at all. I'm just doing a terrible impression. <laughs> but the thing, you've got a script. You've got an amazing script. You've got some of the best jokes on the planet, and you've got a, a, a wonderful scenario to work your way through. So you're already on a winner there. You put into that fantastic acting abilities, you, your comedy timing, uh, and uh, having seen you in stuff, should we go, uh, let's, let's stop at stuff, stuff in the past, then uh, I know that, uh, I, I tell you, if, when I saw you were doing that, I thought, yeah, that fits. Yeah, a few people have said that, you know, when I say, oh, I'm, I'm auditioning for Blackadder, that they're just, from a few people, they just seem to be an immediate nod of, uh, yes, that will be perfect. And I, I take that as a huge compliment, um, but I think it's also because I've, I've been such a huge fan of, of the show since I was a kid. Uh, I think that's true of most of the cast as well. And you're right, it is, uh, in terms of script, uh, there's no, it, it, it's it's on a plate for you, really. If if you get Blackadder wrong, then then there's there's something seriously wrong with you. It's, <laughs> it's fun, it's easy, the rest of the cast are great, the characters are great. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very fun show to be a part of. Okay, for those who are uneducated, give us a scenario that sets the scene for Blackadder 2. Um, okay, so Blackadder 2 is set during the uh, Elizabethan age. Um, Blackadder is, um, you know, he's, he's the typical kind of sarcastic, uh, eye-rolling um, kind of... He, he's, he's, high, he's upper class, but he's not quite at the level that he wants to be. He's, he's just one rung below, you know, the sort of the, the, the royalty... Um, that he works for, 
but the royalty that he works for, you know, Queen Elizabeth II and, and her right-hand man, Melchior, they are kind of useless, stupid people. And his servants, uh, Percy and Baldrick, are useless, stupid people. <laughs> uh, chaos and uh, hilarity ensues. Um, my favourite episode, you know, in terms of setting up a scenario, my favourite episode is that uh, the one where Blackadder challenges Melchior to a drinking competition at his house. Uh, on the same night that he has accidentally invited his aunt and uncle to his house, who are the two biggest kind of fanatical Puritans in England. Uh, so you've got beer throwing uh, and broken furniture in one room, and you've got, uh, you know, a very uh, formal dinner party in the, in the next room. It's that classic kind of sitcom, two parties at once, main characters running in from one room to the other, uh, you know, hilarity and farce. Uh, it's 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 madness, but it's so much fun. And even more fun for the fact it's live on stage, and it has to go right every time you do it, or at least wrong in a way which is going to make it even funnier. Yeah, no pressure, Jason. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. One of the challenging things about the process actually has been there are so many moments where the, in the show where the camera cuts from one actor to the other, and you, uh, as the actor, are sort of stood on stage thinking, "Huh, what did?" What did Rowan Atkinson do during the show during this point? I don't know because the, the, the camera was always on Hugh Laurie or whoever it was. So you do have to find, it isn't a, a carbon copy of the show in the sense that you do have to find those kind of theatrical ways to play certain moments uh, where they didn't do it on the, on the telly show. So it's, um, it's a good mix of, of, the, of the great scripts uh, from the 80s and kind of uh, you know, the, the theatrical visuals. Yeah. So it, 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 it works, basically, and we wouldn't expect anything any different. It sounds like it's going to be awesome. Uh, and you, you've, so basically, you, you have your Baldrick, you, ha yeah, you have all the other characters who, again, it, in some ways, in, in the telly show, we knew it was Hugh Laurie playing a part and or, 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 any, any of the other cast that uh, were, yeah. were in there. So it, it's, it's, again, it's not necessarily impressions, but it's, it's you playing something they played in a way in which they played it because they were them. Absolutely, yeah. It's not it's it's not impressions in a sense, but but it's not impressions. But the characters are so iconic. Mm -hmm. you now you could go to you could go to a you know a pub in the UK on any kind of uh, Saturday night, uh, pre-COVID anyway, and just sort of <laughs> you know overhear conversations between British people talking about Blackadder, and you know ev everybody's got a you know a Queenie impression or a Nursey impression or a Baldrick impression. It's it's just one of those things. It's 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 kind of it's in our sort of DNA really, um, and so yeah. You know, add that to the fact that a bunch of very talented people uh, came to uh, audition for this show, and uh, yeah, it's it's a brilliant cast, and it's um, as I say, it's it's an iconic script. And so clearly, there is a cunning plan to make sure this works. It all gets going on Wednesday, the twenty fifth. I, 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 you haven't done that. I had to do that. So I thought you were going to do that on this one. Yes, very good, very good. Yeah, so so uh, that's all happening. Uh, tickets are available via the Crescent Theatre's website. Anything else we need to know? It's brilliant. That's all you need to know. <laughs> oh, I should say actually, I should say on the on the Tuesday evening uh, of the run, uh, it is going to be there is going to be a socially distanced performance um, for anybody kind of apprehensive about um, kind of post lockdown theatre. Uh, yeah, Tuesday the thirty first of August would be our socially distanced performance uh, of the run. Okay, so check all that out. Book your tickets for that one. Obviously, limited availability that night. We can fill them to the Crescent of the Rafters and the Crescent's a lovely theatre. It's well worth getting to. Absolutely brilliant site to do it. And I think that stage is going to suit it so well. And as I say, just based on Sean, it's going to be yeah, amazing because he's a top fellow. You will enjoy his performance. Mr Hartman, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you on stage at the Crescent from the 25th of August right the way through to the 4th of September. Thank you very much, Mr Forrest. I will see you there. For more than 70 years, bird's eye have been tantalising the taste buds of families across the UK. And with 40% more people buying frozen food since lockdown has begun, there's been changes in our diet, but it's all been for the good. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Lauren Woodley from Bird's Eye and from Emmerdale, a busy mum, and everything else that you've seen her doing. It is Sherry <laughs> Murphy. Good afternoon to you all. 
Afternoon. <laughs> right. So, so first of all, I mean, Shelley, being uh, a busy mother, as well as having the, the the work that you do, frozen foods are absolute godsend, isn't it? But it, and it's also got all that nutrition that your family want and love. Absolutely. And I think there's been like this weird myth around frozen food for quite a while. And obviously, since the pandemic, you know, people have been a bit more. You couldn't go out to the shops as often as you know as as you normally would. So I think a lot of people did go back to frozen food. But you know. It is super nutritious. Um, and for me, as a, a mum of four, with probably as they were all growing up, fussy eaters, mm. um, I could always rely on fish fingers in my <laughs> freezer. You know, it's one of the staples of my freezer fish fingers, frozen chips, ice cream, and peas. That sounds like a magical meal in itself. But I mean, so you've got the goodness that the, the peas, uh, the fish fingers have got all the nutrients in there. The frozen chips are so much better for you than the ones you get from the chip shop because they contain so much less fat. And I'm doing Lauren's job here, so I'll shut up and let her talk. <laughs> Absolutely, Jason. You're completely right. Frozen <laughs> chips are a lot healthier than those you get from the chip shop. So, yeah, frozen chips are definitely not an unhealthy choice anymore. They've got nice, healthy fats on them. Um, and potatoes are a great source of energy, especially for kids running around um, in the evenings. <laughs> and there's vitamin C in there too. But the, the, the frozen veg is the main source of that sort of thing. And yeah. it, it, it could stand on food too. Absolutely. So that's one of the great benefits of frozen. So people moving to frozen since the pandemic has been beneficial, I think, for people's convenience, for saving money, but also in-home food waste is massively reduced by frozen food because if we don't use all of it, just pop it back in the freezer. So it's also a really nice sustainable option as people are, are more engaged now with their activities at home and being more sustainable. Yeah, and, and it, it widens the options of things that are available. I mean, and Sherry, when it comes to having four kids, that sounds like it, possibly five different meals you're having to prepare. Oh, listen, let me tell you, over the years I have um, cooked, I've been known to cook up lots of different meals of an evening. So that's why as a, a parent, sometimes if you've had a busy day at work, you know, you just want to know what you're going to be giving your kids, at, you know, when it comes to tea time. Um, and like I said, you know, fish fingers, chips and peas is a firm favorite you know i do make fish finger sandwiches as well which we absolutely love <laughs> yeah you can't go wrong with a fish finger sandwich you can't yeah. i mean you can fancy them up and make them slightly uh you know adult friendly you mean put um, ketchup on them <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's correct or a bit of rocket instead of iceberg lettuce but you know but kids also love that it's a great little snack you know at lunchtime especially in the school holidays i'm always looking for things to feed the kids because they're constantly hungry um so i think it's just so handy and as a busy parent to make sure your freezer is stocked with them and knowing that you are giving your kids good food uh, and lauren it is all about getting a wide range of nutrition and uh, yeah, there's things like uh, the, the the oils in fish will be really good for the growing kids and uh, you've got all those different options and i say with with bird's eyes range of stuff um i mean everything i mean from uh, uh, the the chicken nuggets through through the fish family and everything else that you produce there's there is something for everybody there however fussy they are Absolutely. So we really pride ourselves on the fact we've got this really wide range that should really appeal to all members of all families. And the great thing is when feeding families with frozen food, you have the nutrients locked in. As you said, all the different types of foods we sell, but especially fish, really, really healthy foods that we should all be trying to eat more of. We should be having at least two portions of fish a week. And frozen fish is wonderful because it has those nutrients locked in. So it's packed with protein. It provides minerals that we all need to kind of grow big and strong. Um, important for kids, but also important for adults as well. Um, so the freezer really does help to lock in those nutrients and lock in that goodness, which I think is really important for, for parents when they're feeding their families, as well as when they're feeding themselves as well. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's so nice to have a brand which is so well known that is always classed as healthy. Every, every Everyone's grown up seeing uh, Captain Birdseye on TV <laughs> and yeah. he's, he's stayed with us in a number of iterations over the years. And uh, it, it, it's, it's having that sort of a character where there is no question, is there? It is all just good food. Absolutely. It stands for quality. It stands for freshness, healthiness. I think for, for a lot of us, our first taste of fish was the humble fish finger. And as Cherie says, fish finger sandwich is an absolute classic. It's one of my favourite meals as well. And it's healthy, which is wonderful because it tastes so good you wouldn't expect it to be. And of course, your fish is sourced sustainably too. Absolutely, yeah. So sustainable fishing is really important. Birdseye was one of the founders of the MSC around 20 years ago. So sustainable catching of fish, sustainable sourcing has been really important. It's part of our, of our DNA, really, and has been for years now. Yeah. So MSC, ASC, always checking labels to make sure you're choosing sustainably sourced fish. It's really important. 
And Cherie, when it comes down to the family food, I mean, you've, you've talked about the fish fingers and, 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 and that side of it, but it is just the, you know, not only the convenience, but also you, you don't have to worry either, do you? Exactly. And I think, um, especially from a cost uh, side of it, I, you know, pre uh, pandemic, I would probably pop to the shop sort of every other day and just buy, you know, a lot of fresh stuff. But sometimes when you're working all day, you come home, and you sort of think, oh, can I be bothered to put together, you know, a, a meal from scratch, which I do a lot, but it's always nice to know that you have options in your freezer. Um, and we, we was looking at a survey, 60% of um, people saved up to £90 a month by shopping frozen food. So that's a massive amount in people's pockets at the end of every month. Yeah, but I'm sure you do the same as I do. The frozen stuff is an ingredient as part of a meal as well. The whole Absolutely. thing doesn't have to come out of the freezer. It's, it's, it's part of it. I know sometimes I'll make my own, you know, mash to go with the fish fingers instead of using frozen chips. So you can like, you can mix things up, do a, a bit of both, which is good. And uh, so you talked about the posh meals. What do you think is the poshest meal you've ever created out of the freezer? And I'm not just talking rocket. Where have you gone? Come on. <laughs> oh, the posh. Oh, God, let me think. Because you're classy, aren't you? I, I, oh, I, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm very classy. <laughs> you know, the girl from Hackney always stays classy. No, I probably think, I suppose it is just mixing stuff up with, you know, some maybe breaded chicken and then I'll make a nice little sauce on the side to go with it a little homemade sauce and like you say a posh salad or something but no you can definitely mix things up with frozen food and frozen food is just as posh as regular food I have to say well, yeah, it, it is and it, it's a it, the quality's there and the quality's locked in when you put it in the freezer absolutely it's locked in and that's the great thing if you think about especially fish again we catch it we freeze it immediately it locks in all that lovely flavour taste, nutrients. 34% of people we found in our recent bird's eye survey think that fish loses its flavour when it's been frozen. It's not the case. It tastes just as fresh as when it was pulled out of the sea. And because of the way fresh fish is actually caught, often it can be frozen before it gets the fresh fish counter. Absolutely. So generally, if you think about those big barges that are catching fish in a sustainable way, the fish are frozen on the ship, they're frozen straight away on land, and then they're transported to, in this case, the UK, to be sold on fresh fish counters and then defrosted. So absolutely, freezing fish is the best way to make sure that it stays as fresh as possible for when and it's that, sold. Yeah, and that, that fresh fish that's been frozen uh, then uh, say, arrives even fresher to us in the freezer than it would do if it's on a fresh fish counter. Absolutely. <laughs> are, there any more, are there any more tongue twisters we can throw at ourselves as we talk <laughs> about this one? But, uh, I tell you what, it's, it's always fun getting the web address. Who's going to do that one for me? I'll go for it. I'll do it. <laughs> so if people want to know more about the full product range from Birdseye, if they want to learn more about nutrition from our nutrition hub, or they want some fantastic recipe inspiration, they head to birdseye.co.uk. There's loads of information on there to help um, families and help parents cook delicious meals and also learn about nutrition as well. And Cherise, it all rounds yours for a fish finger sandwich and maybe some rocket on it as well. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, we, we, we'll, we'll do that now we're allowed to. <laughs> Jerry Murphy and Lauren Woodley, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Harper and Hubble have some brand new music for us. They're quite prolific when it comes to producing this stuff. Let's see whether the last 18 months have slowed them down any. Andy and Paul join me now. Hi, lads. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, so who's going to be spokesperson on the name of the uh, the latest work? Who's volunteering? Uh, we, we finally came up with the title of Roads We Take. Mm -hmm. Not the roads we take, but just roads we take. <laughs> okay, so we've got a whole album of, of road-related stories, or...? <laughs> no, no, no. Obviously, the, the lockdown has um, got us all thinking about stuff and given us a lot more time to reflect on things, as you know, we've all had over the last you know, 18 months. Um, we had a few working titles kicking around, but roads we take, it's kind of about, you know, how people meet and, and, and it's not just about particularly road trips, although there are a couple of tracks relating to that, like the title track Breezing. But a lot of it is about interrelationships, about how people, you know, meet, uh, you know, the fascinating things about that, how people get together and, and, and how different events change things, I suppose. And there's, a, there's a, quite a few more serious things on this album, a bit more serious topics. We've introduced a new writer, John. Um, who's a lyricist, who is a friend of mine and Andy's, and uh, that's given us a different kind of uh, perspective on the music. But I wouldn't want to like give the impression that it's like an overly serious, there's some serious kind of like subject matter on it, but we'd like tie that up in some, hopefully some good melodic stuff. 
and um, you know, and try and keep it interesting and mix it up a bit. But there are kind of you know kind of a few serious themes uh, on the album. Um, so uh, sort of a sort of a different kind of uh, direction for us slightly maybe than the last couple. And have you started performing any of this uh, live out and about yet, or have you uh, limited that just at the moment because of the ongoing situation? So, well, we're we're more producers uh, than than recording uh, than playing live anyway. Um, I mean, as you can tell, we're a bit long in the tooth these days. Oh, <laughs> you speak for yourself. Man. Oh, go on, then I'll speak for myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and. Um, to do live performances, um, we we actually have to create a rather large band, if you like. Well, yeah, because it, it is. There's a lot of layers to your music, and I have, having yeah. seen you do an acoustic set for me uh, back, what it must be the best part of five years ago now. Then you know, we, we had you in and performing uh, uh, that that for us. Yeah. You you had to do some work to get it to the sort of sound that you wanted, even then. That that's right. Um, I mean, unless we start using backing backing tracks, yeah, we could we, go out and do backing tracks. I mean, that's possible. I mean, uh, some of our stuff works stripped down as well. I mean, that's another option, um, you know, because a lot of it formulates from acoustic guitar anyway. I mean, not all of it, but that's, some of it, you know, is, is a stripped back version and then we layer it up. So as Andy quite rightly says, that, that for us to go out and perform that stuff live, we'd need to add at least a few guys and, and get a band together, which isn't beyond the realms of possibility. But um, yeah, it might be worth even considering, like you alluded to a few years back when we came in and, and, and did the session, you know, maybe some stripped back versions of the, of the stuff could, could work as well, you know, and just 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 try it like that, because it's, uh, you know, what they call it, unplugged these days and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So that, that's another option. Yeah, and it would be interesting to maybe have uh, an album of, uh, you know, effectively the greatest hits and your, your favourite tracks off each of the pieces you've done so far, done yeah. in a very different way. I mean, that yeah. would be one to, to enjoy. And uh, to, to be able to then bring that to a to stage, and I think it requires an intimate gig, doesn't it, really, the way that would work? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think, and I think yeah. we could make it work. And I think uh, some of, uh, certainly some of the stuff I tend to bring to the table, as I say, tends to be written more acoustic-y kind of, initially anyway i mean andy's stuff is, is is more keyboard based so that's that's but again that could be transposed into uh, in, in, into like or andy could play over a keyboard like so yeah i mean it, it would be something you know we'd, we'd be interested in looking at but uh you know let's let's uh, certainly now we're in a position that we can actually go and play live again anyway like everybody else <laughs> 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 to do a fat lot anyway for the last uh, as we know for the last 18 months really. no but you're just sitting there communicating putting music together and, and yeah. this brings us an album of uh, say people situations and uh, and something which again I, I find you quite thought-provoking as well if you actually bother listening to the words which i know a lot of people don't do in music but if you do then there's a lot there isn't there mm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 there is, yeah. there is, isn't there? And, you know, I think, and again, as I said, like, you know, John, who writes, who, who we've known for a good number of years, and we thought it would be nice to add a, a different perspective to the work this time. And, and John's lyrics are probably a little bit more subjective and maybe a little bit more mm -hmm. open to interpretation, maybe, you know, but that, that's a good thing because I think whatever you take from a song really is, is, uh, is up to you, you know. I mean, if we can get the main message across, but if it reminds you of a time or a place or, or something in your life, then I think that's 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 job done with, with songwriting, really. I think that's that's really what it's, what it's all about. Uh, so um, so yeah, I mean, you know, so hopefully it's it's a it's a kind of it's it's a Harper of album, but with a little bit of a different twist maybe to the to the last mm. one. But there is an awful lot of back catalogue out there as, as well, and I think it's it's nice to 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 have the sort of a progression in time, and you can hear the way in which things have changed uh, in the music as collaborators come in and go, and and, and yes. the way that works. Yeah. So yeah. If, if someone's looking to find the the full back catalogue, remind me how many albums it is. Well, uh, this is this is the actual third album for Harper and Noble Music. Um, you might find it as HNH music, but uh, this one has finally come out as Harper and Hubble music. The uh, the website is hnhmusic.com. So that's where the HNH really came from in the first place. Mm -hmm. we, we have actually, well, Andy's quite right, but we are, we've actually done four albums because the first album yeah. was under Andy's Relax Listen banner, which was Relax Listen with Friends. And um, that never kind of, because Andy still runs his relaxed listen, obviously, <laughs> with what we're doing, because that was the uh, the forerunner to what we're now doing. 
but the relaxed listen album with friends actually you're speaking about stuff about rehashing it and we've, we've, we've discussed about the possibility of bringing that onto the h&h platform there's some songs on that that i think we could certainly still standing up from a few of that first album in 2015 i think but we, we've talked about rehashing some of those and re-recording with some new material as well um so um you know, that, a few of them might appear on whatever the next project is. Um, mm-hmm. Probably start in September. But it's constantly evolving, always something going on. And we have a video that we're going to, uh, uh, that goes alongside uh, the, the latest release. So what is it we're going to hear now? Right, the uh, track is, um, actually, this was the, the first idea of the title for this album. <laughs> and um, it's, a, it's a track called Island in the City. John wrote the lyrics for this track, so... Um, yeah, uh, Ireland in the city. Okay, so we'll take a listen. Meanwhile, uh, we've already know it's H&H Music, H-N-H Music, and uh, we'll always stick at the end of dot com. Yeah, dot com. And uh, we can get the info that way. Uh, are you all over TikTok and Instagram as well, or have you not ventured out that far? We're, we're just starting to, but... Uh, okay, I want to I mean, see you doing some dances on TikTok then. That'll be good. <laughs> uh, I got a certificate for the Valita, but that's about it. <laughs> but you've got a Facebook page, though, haven't you? So people can find you on there. Yeah, and our YouTube yeah. channel's up and running as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the website actually steers you towards all our uh, social media as well. So get it from hnhmusic.com. You can check it out that way. Well, yeah. Andy and Paul, uh, oh, sorry, other way around, Paul and Andy Harper. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks very thank much for having us. Thank you for having us on. Cheers. All the best. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. You can't go to work.
With 61% of people believing the couple should pay for weddings, this can make the budget a little tight. How much should we spend on all the different elements? To tell us more, I'm joined now by designer and TV presenter David Emmanuel and Kevin Manford, money expert. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon to you. So first of all, I mean, David, tell us a bit about this research because you know a thing or two about weddings. You were involved in the biggest wedding imaginable in the 80s with the designing of Princess Diana's dress, which is still iconic to this day. So where do we go to? How do we start? Because you, you well, might not have the budget that Charles and Di had. No, that would be off, off the scale, obviously. But uh, the average uh, Brit thinks, the British people think, they need to set aside £26,300 for their dream wedding. Mm -hmm. Awful lot of money. And you can't suddenly decide unless you've got a plan. I mean, the whole purpose of this with Raising UK is to try and plan and save uh, for your big day, if that's your dream. Um, but yeah, there are, there are ways around it. I mean, it sounds an extraordinary amount of money because the average wedding dress I consult for a bridal company is between 1000 and 1500 now that's just the gown. Then you've got the veil, then you've got the headdress and the shoes and the bouquet. And so it really adds up. And then of course you've got the venue. Um, and I know at the moment because of the pandemic, some, some brides have, have canceled their way, have to move their wedding three, three times. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, if you put a deposit down, I mean, it, it's, it all clocks up very easily. Uh, but then 23% of the survey with Raisin UK, 23% think we should stick to the traditional bride's family should pay. Well, that's traditional. Tradition is now gone, I think, because mm -hmm. everything is thrown up in the air and um, it really is an expensive operation. Um, Absolutely. But, but, but you've got to, you can cut corners. Well, one thing I was going to suggest, you know, when I see a bride, I say, right, darling, and if she's itching to go just a bit more to spend on the dress, I say, okay, if you want to stretch, that's fine, but um, cut down the coffees. Don't go to these very smart coffee shops and have coffees with your girlfriends all the time. Or stop having cocktails. Save the money if that's what you want. You can't have everything. Um, and trying to, trying to get them, I mean, it's not just the when. If you think of £26,300, that could be a deposit on your flat or house. Yeah. So it's, it's quite a serious business, you know. You can understand why people just run off to, to Vegas and get married quick. You can understand those. <laughs> but even yeah. that requires some planning and some finances. But when you look at it as well, I mean, the wedding ring and the engagement ring, they're, they're more yeah, another expense that you've got. When it comes to the engagement ring, uh, the, the sort of average, I think they're saying something like three months' salary should feel like the right amount to spend. Now, that still sounds like a lot of money. Well, it does. I mean, that, that, and that's generally for the man to find. So he'd better stop going to the pub, I think, and start saving. <laughs> With all of these pressures on us, uh, Kevin, obviously we need to save. Raisin have got accounts to do that. And when it comes to putting a bit away each month, there's lots of ways of approaching that, aren't there? As David's already said, cut down on the coffees, avoid the cocktails. But those little things really do add up. Yes, through um, Raisin, we've undertaken a fair amount of research, particularly during lockdown. And um, you may have uh, be aware, but the savings ratio, so the amount we save versus the amount we earn, has gone up substantially. And there's a number of reasons for this. I think first and foremost, as David alluded to, we've stopped spending on unnecessary items. I think people have also realised that they needed some emergency funds. But I think we are getting back into savings habits now, which effectively means we're putting money aside for major purchases. Now, whether that be the car, the holiday, the deposit on a, a, an apartment, or of course, the wedding. I think planning ahead, trying not to take the romantic element out of it, but I think planning ahead is crucial. And I think what we should do is look to get the most of our savings accounts. For people that can lock money away for one year, the interest rate is twice what it was back in April. So things are improving, but we have to be active. We have to be looking at switching around and putting our money to its best use. And clearly through raisin.co.uk, that's one of the areas that we focus on. Mm -hmm. And obviously it all adds up because uh, looking at these figures again, and David, when we look at £200 to have a guest at your wedding, now lockdown and everything that's been going on has meant there were fewer people at weddings, which was a huge cost saving, but everyone wants a lavish party now. So is 200 quid going to cover it? Uh, no, in a word, I wouldn't think. Uh, the only thing I, I noticed, I was at a wedding recently, and it was an open bar. So, so the, 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 the couple were, 
you know, you could have any drink you want. That was kind of crazy. Because, you know, people, instead of having a beer, they'll have a double scotch. You know, <laughs> and you're thinking, hang on, that's rude. That's taken advantage. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things to think about. I mean, but we did, of course, at the beginning of this pandemic, have the excuse that you could only have, what, 30 people at a wedding. Then mm -hmm. it went down. Then it has gone up. Now I think it's open. You can have as many as you like. So um, you've got to watch the pennies. We really have. It's an expensive operation. Absolutely. And it, it, it isn't cheap. And it's about getting value out of that day because you are making memories. You don't want to scrimp, but you've got to not have to live with the burden of it afterwards. Saving first is important. Well, regarding the gown, everybody wants to know about the gown. You, you can hire a wedding dress these days, right? Mm -hmm. Or I, I recently did a, a TV show where I, I visited an Oxfam. Wait for it, there's an Oxfam. Some of the around the country Oxfam shops have bridal sections. And you know, you, you might be able to pick up a two thousand pound dress for two hundred pounds. And the beauty of that is, people have donated them. Manufacturers have given it to Oxfam, so it's going to a very good cause. But but you can wear the dress, and you can hand it back to Oxfam. They'll dry clean it, and then so I mean, there are ways around it. They are. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in your show, you say yes to the dress as well. I mean, you've experienced even more of what goes on. It comes to getting the dress, and I mean, you you know how to design a wedding dress, don't you? I think so. <laughs> I think that's pretty well documented. It, it, it has been known, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to it, yeah, maybe higher because when you know people have obviously donated to Oxfam and other charity shops as well, and and that's because you have the dress, you have it for the day, and then it kind of just sits in a wardrobe, doesn't it? Unless yep. it's one of yours, then it goes on display in the V and A. But everybody else's, it's in a wardrobe. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I think the one thing about that charity shop uh, wedding dresses is. You can wear it for the day. You can enjoy it. Uh, don't have to worry. You don't have sleepless nights. Can I afford it? You can because they're very affordable. But then equally, then after you've worn it, give it back to the store and they can resell it. And it's, it's all for a very good cause. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's good ways of getting around it and spending that money wisely. And again, it is about the way in which we save. Kevin, any more tips for us? No, I think, um, as I say, um, get into good habits. Um, I've seen people often look to save whatever's left at the end of the month. What you should do is work back from the amount you think you need to spend, the period in which you've got to save in, and make sure that you put that money aside. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, we are in unprecedented times. I guess now, because of the lockdown, there's going to be more and more people rushing to have that big day. And um, let's hope that they can get the balance right between how much they spend and obviously the enjoyment and memories that they create. Absolutely. It's all about making those memories. And that can be done at a budget. It doesn't have to be about the expense. But if you can afford it, enjoy it. If you can't, don't pressure yourself. Still make sure you have that big day in an enjoyable, cost-effective way and follow a man whose advice is absolutely essential when it comes to wedding dresses, David Emmanuel. And, and go second-hand if you need to. And if you, buy, if you buy second-hand, you haven't got to worry about returning a rented dress either with, with a red wine down the front if you've got a bit carried away at the open bar. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, give us the details again where we can find out more about Raisin and the help that you're going to get people to save to put away that money for that golden day. Yeah, so our website is raisin.co.uk. Well, savings expert from Raisin, Kevin Manford, and the one and only David Emmanuel. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Mostly autumn have been playing festivals, and as we speak, we find Brian and Olivia in the back of their van, which is travelling them around the country to all the events that are taking place. And they're here for a bit of an after about their current music. Hello. Hello. Hi. Right, so first of all, give us the background to Mostly Autumn, please. Well, Mostly Autumn's been um, like a project, a band that's been going about 25 years, mm -hmm. sort of seriously. And it's just, it's just music... Um, music that's sort of about life and nature that inspires us and things it's just been you know you can't say it in in two minutes but you know it's just been a band that's very real and and we've been doing that like professionally and playing that everywhere you know that is all we can ask for really isn't it and a chance to share music and some awesome music it is too so how do you describe the sound and how you do you bring that to the stage compared to your uh, recorded work Ooh, pastoral, maybe. It's, it's, um, it's like heavy at times, beautiful at times, um, intense, very heartfelt, very honest. Um, in the studio, we, we, we put down it as close as we can, but live it, it comes across maybe even more powerful, I guess. 
it was it was born more as a, a live thing than a studio thing i think really at the end of the day it's, it's a live experience but you know obviously you need to record albums to to put it down there for people to get. So Skin of Mankind's a track we're going to take a listen to in a short while's time. And the, the, so the studio version of this I've heard is so we, we've got tambourines, we've got big piano sounds and a, a, a load of other stuff going on. It's a very sort of busy, impactful sound, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, well, it's a riff, yeah, that came out and, um, and it's, it's, actually, it's got echoes of a, like, of a Western sort of sound to it and a, almost a gypsy sound, but it's, uh, it was based on riff and, the album itself, when you hear the album, it's a concept of, of stuff we wrote about the time going through the pandemic, and that's we sort of logged it into music, if you like, because all the other inspiration had disappeared at that time. So the album, Skin of Mankind, is a, is a third track in on the album, and it's um, it's a little bit like a part of the journey which the album is. And it sounds like it is because it just came out like that. <laughs> but I mean, it, it sounds awesome, and say so it is something which you said is different the way you do it on stage, but I should think you're still going to have everybody bouncing in that crowd, and I'm sure the festival scene has been quite odd, singing about a time when you couldn't be together in front of a load of people who are clearly having a great time of togetherness. Yeah. yeah hopefully. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. It was amazing to be playing again after 18 months. Like, you know, the, the vibe in the crowd and the, with the bands was amazing, you know. Yeah. It's uh, something else, something like you've never experienced in a way, like. Mm -hmm. Like resetting it all. Uh, and what's it like being back in the tour vehicle? As I say, we, as we speak, uh, you've got the uh, the rest of the, uh, the, the the camper van. You're home when these things go on. Uh, I'm sure at some point, even though I know you were in travel lodge last night. But you know, how does how do you make that sort of life on the road thing work? Oh, it's just amazing. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's just a really good crack. You know, we, it's yeah. part of it all. Like you know, it, we're, there's a great bunch of people in the band and crew. And we just we just enjoy going around in different places, you know, the, the crack you have in the travel lodge car park with loads of booze and stuff, and then and then going and doing the gigs, you know, and all everything that goes with it. It's just amazing to be doing it again. It really is. It's really strange, really good, you know, amazing. Granny, you're still really privileged. I know the audience are privileged too to hear the sound that you're making. And how many of you are there that bring all this together? When we play live, there's seven of us on the stage. Um, seven create the sounds. We're a noisy lot. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that good noise, which is what counts. And uh, but when you well behaved when you hit the hotels, I'm sure that's the case. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, very <tough>. quiet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, what have we got going forward, and what have we got on the socials? How do people find it? Because 25 years ago, when this all started, there was no socials. It was purely hard work and, and graft in real life. These days, the graft yeah. is in a different place, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Well, we've got the main website, haven't we? Which is mostly dashawton.com. Um, that has the details of all the, the gigs coming forwards. And then we're on the usual, all the usual social sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, so people can find us on there as well. But we've got HRH gigs coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we've got a gig in Shepherdsbush Empire and then in, also in Sheffield coming up. Um, there's obviously not as many gigs as there would have been because everything's been so uncertain, you know. Um, but, you know, they're starting to come in again now, so... We're at the Robin 2 on the 28th of November. So it'd be great to have you in the Midlands for that one. That's going to be awesome. Again, the sort of venue which I think is going to absolutely suit your sound as well because it is, it, it's big enough to, to, to cope with the audience but still close enough that you actually feel part of it because I'm, I'm yeah. down there and you feel like an extension of the band and I think that's, yeah. again, it's sort of a family feel to your music, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's Definitely. a fantastic venue, is that one? We, we love playing there, it's brilliant. It's intimacy, as you say, there's something about that sort of size of gig, this sort of club gig like that, where it's blood, sweat and emotion, you know, and you can, you're all part of it, you know? The yeah. bigger gigs, sometimes you do big gigs, you are slightly detached from it all. It's a different experience, but, you know, I do really enjoy them, but we all do really enjoy that sort of thing, you know? Especially the Robin, too. It's a good, good gig. Yeah, you'll still have the best part of a thousand people in there absolutely rocking the night away, which is absolutely mm. awesome, and it's going to be a good one. I am loving the sound, so we've got the whole album which is out there, people can get now, so uh, how do we do that one as well? Well, the new album um, is only on a limited edition at the minute, but it, the general release on, on in shops and on iTunes and everything is the 24th of September. September. So that's when they can get that, right? Okay. There is a limited edition that they can go to the website, but it's, I think it's more or less sold out, so they'd have to be very, very quick. You see, we, we, you know, we, we, we send a few thousand out there as a double, and that's a limited edition. Then the single disc goes out to, to the people, you know, to the shops of Europe and wherever in the world, you know. 
Yeah, and also it will be available at gigs and things as well, I am sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, the important bit is getting and seeing you guys live, because clearly you, you, you're a live band, that's, that's how it works, mostly yeah. autumn, out there on the road. Robin 2, coming up in November. Check out the Robin's website for that one and uh, get your tickets that way. Uh, but, of course, get online and, and and see what else is happening in the world. Uh, these uh, kind of mad musicians who uh, they, they, they are doing crazy stuff and entertaining as you head around the UK. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Loving the whole concept of it. Keep up the good work. Here's to another 25 years. Brian and Olivia, thank you for joining us. Thank you, man. Thank you so Cheers. much. Cheers, Jason.
with Monday's release of Flatland, a challenging story in a different world, certainly to what we're used to here. And then on top of that, you've got a, an interesting foreign language film in some ways too. To tell us more, I'm Joey Neb, our writer and director, Jenna Bass. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, good to talk to you. So tell me a bit more about the, the setting to begin with. Sure. So the film is set in the Karoo region of South Africa, um, which is the, in the middle of the country. And it's the very dry semi-desert region um, with a with the Afrikaans speaking, mostly Afrikaans speaking population. Um, and it's been the kind of setting of a lot of literature um, and a lot of storytelling um, in South Africa um, and also um, quite a lot of films as well. Um, but I think it's a, it's a kind of region that holds a lot of fascination for, for people. Um, it's almost like a mythical kind of sense to it. So I think you see that in the film. But amazing scenery and backdrops and, and it looks uh, amazing. And I think that makes some of the things that we see in front of those backdrops more harrowing when it comes to telling the story. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, there's a lot of things that are, I suppose, very, yeah, very difficult and like and challenging and raw about the story. Um, and I, but I think, I think that's what I, you know, what drew me to the Western in the first place is that it, you know, I what, however you interpret that genre, it very often has that very stark backdrop of which human nature does kind of take on a more extreme quality. Um, and so I think that's for, for me, something that's very much drew me to that, to the landscape to tell this particular story in this genre. Well, build as a portrait of woman in a hostile land. Uh, certainly, it, it leaves no holds barred when it comes to telling this story. Uh, with uh, two friends um, exploring uh, and experiencing uh, a huge amount in the space of the, the film itself. Yeah, that's true. They they go through a lot. Um, yeah, I know. I think um, in a lot of ways, uh, I I think the film. It's, 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 it's very, like, with the Western, again, with, with, with that genre um, and exploring it from the perspective of these female characters, um, I really wanted to give women a chance to experience all the kind of extremes of the Western that you would usually see, you know, happening to male characters in that mm -hmm. genre. Um, so many of the Westerns I watched um, when I was researching for the film, you know, are about men. And I wanted to see what women would do in these in very frequently violent and difficult, challenging situations um, of you know, violence or deprivation and, and really put them through the same kinds of very brutal physical challenges, which all, all, in a way, you know, like I take on a whole different light um, in the kind of context of South Africa and um, when it is women. Um, so I really wanted to put them through these challenging challenges um, that just as much as men would be in that genre. I mean, you, you, with the challenges from the male characters on, say, the, uh, the, the female police officer in the one scene in the film, and uh, they are not accepting uh, of women in authority, quite clearly. And uh, there, there is um, a level of, of lack of respect there, which in, in some ways is shown in different ways throughout the piece. Absolutely. I mean, we have a very um, kind of publicly acknowledged, like huge uh, pandemic of uh, gender based violence in South Africa. So it's a very, very big topic of conversation, you know, where this like very rampant, like violent um, kind of uh, yeah, violence towards women, where, where that comes from and, and why it's particularly so extreme here. And so um, it's not, I suppose what the film, wants, the film does is that it doesn't only look at it from that perspective of, of like physical violence, but also just, you know, um, microaggressions and, um, and lack of respect and um, the kind of hypocrisy that that our country has in terms of like, oh, we, we love and we celebrate women. In fact, we're actually in Women's Month at the moment here. Um, and yet that we have this huge problem with violence and prejudice towards women. So yeah, it's a very, very big topic here. Yeah, certainly outwardly um, in the UK, we would see the women of South Africa as, uh, as a celebration of, of colour and uh, of, of, of art when it comes down to what we get exported to us. But this clearly is showing the rather gritty different side of that and a reality which is quite harsh. And uh, even down to the treatment of one of your characters when they're pregnant. Yeah. No, I definitely. I mean, I think uh, I'm always interested with the perceptions of South Africa that kind of, as you say, get exported because I do feel like we have a very successfully exported public image of what our country is and where we're at. And um, and that isn't just, you know, doesn't doesn't just relate to women. It also, you know, in terms of where we're at with race and equality and, you know, the the unity of the nation is lived in this rainbow nation. Um, and so which the film very much speaks to as well. And 
um, isn't about necessarily trashing those ideas, but kind of, uh, you know, showing that, you know, as much as we want to be in this place where everybody gets along and everybody treats everyone with respect, um, we absolutely aren't and we have a long way to go to get there. But, but a kind of world that runs in parallel with the world that we see. Yeah, it's, it's you know, and it's like, I, I suppose I'm very always, I'm always interested in people's, you know, in people's like dreams and their ideals of what they want life to be like and what they think life should be like. And I think the characters in this film are, you know, they're all victims of their own ideals or the ideals that they've been taught they should have in terms of what love should be like, what romance should be like. You know, Beauty is the character that, you know, she throws away her whole life, her whole professional life for this version of romance that she believes that she must have with this man who, you know, clearly is not, you know, kind of up for that. And, um, you know, and Poppy as well has also kind of got an idea of like, this is what I want my life to be like. I want to be on TV. I want to be famous. I want to be with this guy who's a trucker. It's so romantic. But, um, and they're all kind of chasing after these ideals that don't, aren't really going to make them happy and aren't necessarily even realistic. And I think that that's, it's a mirror of where we are as a, as a country, as, as a country, is that we aren't necessarily being realistic about the ideals we have for our nation and how we, you know, it's not a magic wand that we can just wave and fix all these problems. We kind of have to be more realistic and kind of assess where we're at and what's possible. And with the African language that we have in there and this particular dialect of it, and, and what I think is interesting for us as well is, is the, the bits of English that pop up in there. Now, you probably don't notice that, but I do, because hey, I, I'm reading the subtitles to follow the majority of what's going on, and then suddenly there's bits I recognise. And uh, it, the, the, the way in which you've written it, obviously you focused on that when you wrote it, so I'm, 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 probably, I'm not giving you credit there, really. But, you know, it, it, it is... Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting view of it, because when we talk about South Africans, we, we know the accent, we know the voice that the, the, the people have. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting hearing it in Afrikaan and that English-Afrikaan mix. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of very interesting, like, like undertones that in, that involve language in the film and, and Afrikaans in particular. But even even with when it comes to Afrikaans, there's a lot of different kinds of Afrikaans that are spoken mm -hmm. in the film and, and which represents, you know, the fact that Afrikaans isn't just one language and it's a very politicized language here. And you have scenes where, um, you know, Beauty is a character whose first language is not Afrikaans. So she kind of speaks it under duress and she speaks it or she speaks it to show respect to her former boss, Yap, who, who, she, who she's got a lot of respect for. But when it comes to speaking to his son, who she doesn't respect, she just refuses to speak it because it's, it's uh, we could have a whole long other conversation about the kind of, you know, history of Afrikaans in this country. But, you know, it's, there's a lot of kind of undertones of, that the language has um, and that her, her choice to speak or not to speak Afrikaans um, kind of has a lot of meaning to it. But again, this is a, another chance to export something internationally and give uh, a, a different view, but not necessarily one that's intended to be critical, as you say, but a, a different view of a country that in some, in some ways we feel we know from you know, the end of apartheid, which came about during my lifetime, and the colonialism that, uh, that goes a long time before. Yes, no, it's certainly, I, it's, I, I found it really fascinating how you know, showing this film internationally and seeing what people think. And I, I've I had a lot of people, um, especially in, in Europe, actually, who, you know, who will say to me, like, you know, I've been to South Africa or I, I've, I've, been, I've been to Africa, you know, more generally speaking. And this is not the version of South Africa that I'm used to. Or like, I didn't think that this isn't what South Africa looks like. And my answer to that is always like, you know, it's a huge country with um, so much diversity. Like you can't even expect even our country to be homogenous, let alone the whole continent. Um, and and also, you know, Flatland is absolutely not a you know realistic portrayal of South Africa. It's 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 kind of got a cartoonish quality to it. I mean, and that's that's you know that's intentional. Like we you know we wanted it to be a western with all the kind of extremities of that genre, and um, it's not a absolute like realistic authentic portrayal. It's it's a movie. Um, and you know, I think if you want to like learn more about South Africa, like this is one film to watch. You know, watch more and and learn more about the country. But it's not this one film that's going to teach you everything about what the country is like. You're not definitively the whole thing, but it's, it's like when we see any gangster movie anywhere, we, we see this coming out of the likes of, of, of London, a London, London gangster movie. We know that's not the London we go and see when we go and see a movie in the West End. It's not the South Africa you would see if you go to a tourist destination, but we know that these things exist. And this is the South African take effectively on 
the same sort of things as we might see created in movies elsewhere. And again, it gives a, a very different flavour and particularly taking the the female perspective and the, I mean, the very real way in which there is a lack of respect to these characters, which again is mirrored in parts, not all of society. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, a lot of the film, despite the fact that it's, um, you know, it's obviously very, um, you know, it's very melodramatic and it's uh, quite extreme. Like a lot of it is based on my own life in weird ways. Like, I mean, I've never been a pregnant um, kind of cocaine addicted <laughs> alcoholic teenager, but um, I, I, there's a lot of the, the ways in which they experience the world and they experience men and they experience kind of society that I, f I feel very connected to. And um, so as much as it is, you know, fi completely fictional and kind of ridiculous at times, it, it's just also something that I feel very close to and that I can kind of sincerely kind of like put out there as something that I feel um, is real. Well, uh, premiering on Bohemia Euphoria and via digital as well. Flatland is available to watch as of Monday. And uh, it is going to be, I think, certainly an education, but an education based on, uh, uh, you know, uh, a world where you can see a, a snapshot of parts, but not all of a, a nation, which we probably think we know, but don't. Great, thank you. I, I hope everyone gets to see it. And, and thank you so much for, for the chat. That was, it was really great. Right, from Director Genovas, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 636 next week. I hope to have you along then. Turn up for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.